Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. South Florida is one of the largest hubs for human trafficking in the country, with our international airports and influx of refugees seeking safety and sometimes not finding that safety, and our huge multicultural population. Now, this year marks the inaugural A21 Walk for Freedom to bring awareness to human trafficking. And essentially, this is 21st century slavery. Why they do it? Money, of course. And how walking for freedom will make a difference For that, we're going to turn to Gloria Martinez, who is the executive director of Tree of Life Parenting Center. Gloria, welcome again to Community Focus. And can you tell us where do you come in between Tree of Life Parenting Center and a walk for awareness for human trafficking? Well, hi, Ellen. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think I fit right in the middle. You know, I do run Tree of Life Parenting Center. I have a lot of clients that come to us from the state attorney's office that come to us from Christie House that are survivors of human trafficking and they need assistance. Okay. Uh, The first time we spoke when we were talking about your giant baby shower for pregnant moms and new moms, you mentioned to me that you were a survivor of human trafficking. And, you know, you just kind of threw it out there and went on talking. And (laughs) I was taken aback, but I just said, okay, this is not my business to ask right now, but you are involved with this walk and you sound so completely whole that it's not what I would expect to hear from someone who has been a victim of human trafficking. Would you mind telling us your story? I actually get that a lot. I get the, how can you just say that? Like it rolls off your back. Um, That was a long time ago for me. That was from the time I was 12 to about the time I was 17 years old. And right here in Miami, right? Right here in my city. And um, for me, it's the situation that I think a lot of the girls get into, young girls, and they don't come to understand that it's a form of trafficking until they're older and hopefully reach therapy. But it's, you know, Miami's common situation. You find a guy, you think, you know, that's your boyfriend. You'll do anything for him because as a teenager, of course, you're gravitating to trying to find yourself, trying to be loyal to this person, trying to have what you see in the movies. And that turns into someone being very controlling. Um, Little by little, of course, because at first they always start like a charmer. Mm -hmm. Um. And then asking you to do favors and, you know, the I need you to do this for me, please. And so it became that it became doing favors for who I thought was my boyfriend who would set up appointments. And it wasn't until towards the end, more so to when I turned 17, that I saw for the first time the transaction. Because the transaction of money, of goods, of drugs was never something that he let me see until the end. So essentially he was trading you for money or drugs. Yes. In a sense, telling me that he needed me to do this, either, you know, so-and-so really needed some attention or he needed some extra money or please help me out with this, that, and the other. And as a 12-year-old, I was completely manipulated, right? And completely controlled into thinking that this is what I needed to do for this person that loves me, right? The, the idea that love comes this way. Can I ask you how old was he? When I was 12, he was 17. 
that seems so young to be already a trafficker, while 12 is not so unusual to be someone who is a victim of human trafficking. Without being too graphic, can you tell us some of the things that he thought you had to do for him, that he needed you to do as a favor, where he would then make money off you? So most of the appointments were set up um, to have a sexual encounter with a person, a man, the majority of the times. Um, The majority of the times was just one person. There are times that it was several, Um, but it went deeper than that because he would just drop me off and leave me there and then come back later. And in that time that I was dropped off, a lot of things happened. There were times that I was locked in a room and unable to get out. There was times that I was tied up and not able to move. Um, there, It's a lot of situations that he and not a lot of people obviously know because it was just, let me drop off this girl here. I'll come back within a couple hours and I'll get my money and I'm good. Were you going to school at the time? Yes. So this was a secret, like a little secret that you kept from everyone around you. From everyone. You know, I have, I was lucky enough to grow up with both parents. I have an older brother. You know, it it doesn't fit the typical story that people think, but at that age, I hid everything, right? Like typical teenagers do. My parents don't know anything. I know everything. I'm going to work this out on my own. This guy really does love me. I just can't tell anyone what's going on. And when I turn 18, I'm out with him and we are going to live happily ever after. Okay. So at 17, you finally realized after five years of being put into these horrible situations as a child, what was it that finally struck you that said, this is not right and I need to get out? So um, when I turned 17, my best friend, best male friend, I was talking to him one day and something slipped out. Like one of the occasions that I had been into slipped out. And he was like, what? (laughs) He couldn't believe what I was telling him. And he was like, I got to get you out of this. Um, And he did. He he got me out to thinking that, you know, thinking in a different way when it came to love and relationships and what my parents would think and what my brothers would think and that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I left for college at 18 that I enrolled myself in therapy and the therapist had to break this down for me because in my head at the time, it was like, okay, I have been sexually assaulted. I have been raped. I didn't ask for some of the things that were asked of me in those appointments that this you know, boy set up. But I didn't see that it was sex trafficking, that I was a survivor of sex trafficking. Did he threaten you if you left him? If you stopped helping him? Yes. Um, So I'm a very open person. I've been this way since I was younger. And he knew a lot about my life, a lot about my family. Um, My dad at the time was holding a position with the federal government. There was a lot of threats related to my mom who's disabled. My father's job, you know, being a part of the federal government and how dare he have a daughter like this. Um, It was a lot of those kind of threats coming after my friends, my brothers, etc. And I just at the time felt like he had so much power. I I had no way of, of getting out. It is similar to domestic violence in the issue of control, but the abuse is very different. Yes. How did your family react when they finally found out what you had been through? 
So after three years of therapy in college up in Massachusetts, I came down for Christmas one year. I have goosebumps. <laughs> I came down for Christmas one year and I had prepped them. I was like, hey, I've been enrolled in therapy. I really want to talk to the whole family when I get there. You know, can we just have this out? I got some things to say. And they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, no big deal. Um, and I remember I was reading in my notebook because I had written it down like 15 times trying to find the correct way um, to inform them of most of the things that gone on, not obviously nothing in detail. Right. Um, and everyone, it was, I just remember a big like bomb dropped on my family um, sure. because they never, they never thought something like that would happen to me um, or happen to us, right? We were a good family, strong family unit. My dad had a good job. My mom was disabled, but started working and had a great job. Me and my brother, you know, we were typical kids, but but nothing too bad. Um, so it was really devastating for them. The more comfortable I've gotten with it in recent years, right? Because I wanted to have my career for me, not my career because I'm a survivor. Right. Um, so I've become more open with it now. And we've had many more conversations since. And they're good conversations. They're good conversations now. And I think they understand a little bit more of me back then. I remember my mom saying, you know, oh, my God, that's why this and that's why that. Yeah. And she kind of put the pieces together um, on some of the things when I was younger. I would have to believe there's a tremendous amount of guilt on their part for not knowing not noticing, but you were obviously very skilled at hiding things. Yeah. Um, and very smart because you managed to keep going to school, kept your grades up, obviously. You went to college. Yeah. And I mean, I expect someone who sounds traumatized, but you have done all the work to be able to cope with what happened. And again, it sounds like a lot of the time you didn't even realize what was happening. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. I had no idea when I was younger and they knew him. He was at the house often. We were playing Mario Kart in the living room often. Um, and I have friends. I mean, I've had the same friends since I was in fifth, sixth grade. And I've had friends ask me recently when they've heard an interview or seen a post and they've been like, what? Right. What do you mean? You know, I was there. And when I've had to have those conversations with them, they're like, oh, my God, I didn't see it. And a lot of my friends feel bad and I tell them the same thing, like, please don't feel bad. I didn't see it either. And that's kind of my my passion with getting behind human trafficking and this walk, right, is that young girls in Miami, I, I hope that many that are in similar situations listen to this. Because it's not something you can pinpoint and be like, oh, my God, I'm being trafficked. Like, it's a whole process, a whole different bubble that you don't even notice you're in. Would it be fair to say to a young girl that if someone you have feelings for asks you to do things, sexual things with another man or boy, that they should question that immediately? Yeah. Or another woman or another girl. You know, it. it, it goes always. And just just knowing that that's not what love really is. And that's not the love and the hunger that we should seek. In terms of statistics for the audience, and you can find this at a21.org, more than $150 billion per year goes back and forth in human trafficking. That's how much money it generates. So as we know, money is a big motivator. And South Florida, again, yours is a very different story from what I expected. 
And I guess this is a lesson for me not to assume that everything's the same. You know, what we hear a lot in South Florida is about migrants who come in and they work the fields and then they get pulled into human trafficking and are asked to do other things or they're not permitted to go to school and they essentially become slaves. And again, no money, no way to get out, threats and so on. So now we have the understanding why Tree of Life Parenting Center, which (laughs) you are executive director of and which helps women with pregnancy under any circumstances, no questions asked, completely free. Um, That's why you're behind the A21. This is a global walk to bring awareness of human trafficking. And literally, you can look at the map on their website, and there are walks all over the world. And Miami is the one large place in Florida where we're having a walk in credit to you for being the organizer. Tell us what's going to happen next Saturday, October 15th at the A21 Walk for Freedom. So I am super excited. I was asked to speak at the walk last year. They did it in Broward and I spoke there. This year, there's over 33 countries signed up to walk. Um, So I'm very excited to bring this to Miami. Not only that, now you know my story, but also I get to walk with my daughter and I I can't even put into enough words, right, what that means to me to be hand in hand with her and lead this walk in my city. Um, But we will be starting at Futurama Art Gallery. We're going to meet there. We are going to have a couple speakers that relate to this world, right? Relate to helping women and teens and boys and men in this world. And then we're going to walk. It's about a two mile walk. And during the walk, we're going to be handing out these small makeup bags that are empty, except for a small human trafficking hotline number inside in hopes that these get passed out in the community enough to reach girls who need that hotline number. Do you have that hotline number? The Miami one is 305-349-7867. Okay, 305-349-7867. Can someone call that number if they think someone else is a victim or is this strictly a victim phone number? No, that is both. Either way, you should call the number to easily remember it. It's 305-FIX-STOP. Okay, 305-FIX-STOP. That's great. 305-FIX-STOP. Just keep remembering that. Say that over and over. So the thing about this that's different from many of the walks that are going on during walk season, this is not a chip-timed walk. This is more like the Women's March. It's a march, essentially, where you are showing what's going on and handing out the information. And everyone is walking together, not competing. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not meant to be a rowdy walk. Um, It's actually meant to be a quiet or silent walk. And all you do is pass those out so that, you know, you don't have an opportunity to alert maybe someone who is trafficked in the community that you come across. It's just like, hey, grab a makeup bag here. And then once they get somewhere where they can open it, then they get to see that. But we're not advertising that we're giving out an HT number, right? The hotline number as we walk. That's the goal of A21 is to just try and get those people on the street that may need it without alerting like, hey, look at us, you know, all traffickers stand back. No. Is there a reason you chose Southwest 8th Street? Is that a particular area where there are people who are victimized? There's a lot of those hotels, you know, those motels on 8th Street. 
Um, I personally was taken to so many I can't even count for my appointments. And so I know that friends that have been in similar situations have also been taken to those motels. Um, There is a lot of, you know, it is a little touristy there, but it also has those hourly pay motels where most appointments are set. It's so weird to hear you use the word appointment because that (laughs) it's, it's like a cover word that yes, that, that traffickers will use to make it sound less salacious, less dirty and less abusive. Yeah. I just I'm I'm so amazed at how you just have handled this. I'm rarely speechless. You know? <laughs> it hasn't been easy, Ellen. It was three years of therapy. It's countless flashbacks. It's certain neighborhoods that trigger me like you wouldn't even believe that I, you know, it's it's a lot of things. And it's just constantly working on that and constantly just, you know, owning what it is and not trying to cover it up. But yes, the neighborhood I grew up in, I have a friend that still lives there and I hate driving to her house. I hate it. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm grown up. <laughs> I've dealt with it. A lot of healing has taken place. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm so in awe of you and your strength. And I hope that if anyone who's listening to this is in a similar situation or knows someone who is, that they're able to draw from your strength and use that number, 305-FIX, with the letter F, F-I-X, stop, or 305-349-7867. I know our state attorney, Catherine Fernandez-Rundle, has a very large division working on human trafficking, so this can only help. If someone wants to participate, do they need to register in advance or can they just show up Saturday at the Futurama Art Gallery at three o'clock? I would love for them to register first so that we can get a head count, have enough water and t-shirts and all of the things that we will have there. It's a21.org backslash Miami. And we will be there. We have Celsius that we'll be handing out if you get thirsty. But most importantly, we're going to be there with you to help show our support for this cause, which affects so many people. I mean, literally 40 million people in the world are in some form of enslavement. And the more that we bring awareness to it, the more that people can recognize if something seems wrong with a young girl or a man or a woman or a boy, because it can happen to anyone. So, okay. And also, Ellen, yeah. if um, if someone is listening to this and feels a little funny about calling the hotline, they can always message or call us here at the center. I'm here. I have plenty of, of girls that I still see from my work in the human trafficking world uh, before just running the center. Right. And so I still see many girls, many women um, that have been through that situation. And sometimes it's a little intimidating to call the hotline, but it's not as intimidating to reach out to someone you've heard from. So how do people reach you? To reach me at the center, they're going to call 305-442-9448 or our Instagram, right? Our DMs. I handle our DMs for the for the center. It's tree of life underscore center. Okay. Tree of life underscore center. And again, please join us Saturday the 15th. We're just six days away from the A21 Walk for Freedom, getting started at Futurama Art Gallery, 1637 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. And you can register in advance at a21.org slash Miami. 
I understand there are still a couple of things that you need support with for the walk. Yes, we need donations of water, water bottles, so we can give out during the walk. And we need a golf cart rented for us to make sure that just in case someone needs to be, you know, taken out of the walk because they're tired or something happened, God forbid, that we have a golf cart to get them in and get them back to Futurama Art Gallery for some help. Okay. And again, they would call you at 305-442-9448. Mark it down. Gloria Martinez on a mission to save <laughs> women, children, anyone who is being abused or trafficked or needs assistance as a parent, as a new mom. Um, you're just out there for our community. And um, yeah. I thank you for what you do. It, it's truly Thanks. amazing. It's honestly a pleasure. This is my city, right? It molded me. It shaped me. It almost broke me. But I'm back and I'm super strong now. And so being able to do all this for the community, it, it's honestly a pleasure. And if there's no other reason to go out to the walk next Saturday, go so that you can meet Gloria and get some <laughs> of her strength. Again, you can register at a21.org backslash Miami or call Gloria Martinez at 305-442-9448, Executive Director of Tree of Life Parenting Center and the organizer of Miami's Walk for Freedom to Bring Awareness of Human Trafficking. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that can't be easy to talk about, but you, again, are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ellen. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, from one courageous woman to another, a part-time member of the North Miami Beach Police Department, specializing in domestic violence, and also member of the board of directors of the Safe Space Foundation, which works with all the domestic violence shelters in Miami-Dade County. Cora Mann wanted to welcome you back. We were able to talk about the annual Safe Space Family Violence Walk, but there were so many things we weren't able to talk about, so I'm glad you're able to spend time with us again and get some more information out to people who may be at risk or may be in an abusive relationship and aren't sure what to do. How about if we start from what your work is as a police officer and what happens when you get a call for domestic violence and then how you take someone to safe space and work them into a shelter from there. Well, again, thank you for having me, ma'am. I'm so happy to be back and to be a part of your community forum. Um, as an officer, when we're called to someone's home for call for services, reference domestic violence, the first thing we have to do is we try to make sure that everyone in that home is safe. And once that happens, we try to make contact with the victim. And we just want the victim to know that there are options for her or options for him. We want them to know that they do not have to live in a home environment where they're constantly being abused. And that's how Safe Space Foundation get involved. So there are two things that I've heard, and you can tell me if they're correct or not. One is that a domestic violence call is one of the most fragile situations you can go out to because you never know how it's going to turn, whether it will become violent or a hostage situation or whether the victim, the abused, will then turn on you as a police officer and say, don't bother us. This is our business. That is correct, ma'am, because even though a victim might be being abused by a perpetrator, they're still their loved one. And that's one thing that being an officer, you always got to keep in mind. And at any minute, that situation can change. And you're right. 
Domestic violence is one of the number one causes that an officer has to be so concerned about the life, our safety and also the safety of others. But I just want anyone out there to listen to me to understand, as a police officer, when we respond to your home, we're not there to separate you from your family of your loved one. We're there to try to solve the solution at that time frame. And we're not the bad guy. We're just trying to find somewhere safe for you and your family at that particular moment. If someone says, no, I don't want your help, what do you do? How can you let them know that if they change their mind, there's a place to go? Well, once you call us to your home for domestic violence, we can't just leave and say, okay, we're going to walk away now. You change your mind. First of all, your situation will be documented by a report. And if both parties are on the scene, we will ask someone to leave so that everybody can calm down for a minute. And once that report is generated in the system, there will be a detective that will follow up with the person that day who's listed as a victim to make sure that person is okay. And what if you can see visible bruises on someone or someone is bleeding? Are you allowed to step in and say, okay, we're going to take you to the hospital or you need to be removed now? You are at risk. If we go to a scene and someone has visible injuries, the first thing we're going to contact is Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. Now, that person have a right to refuse treatment, but we have to call and we have to document that we provided them with treatment, but they declined to have it. Where do most of the calls come from when you get a domestic violence call? Is it the abused or is it a child of the abused or a friend? It comes from all the above. And most importantly, if you have school-aged children, it comes from them. A child will normally run to the bathroom or run to a kitchen and call 911. And these children know to leave their phone open, don't hang up the phone, and that way the police will come to their house. What about children reporting violence in the home to their teachers at school? Is a teacher mandated to report that to their superiors? A teacher is a mandated reporter, yes, ma'am. They have to report it. And if they do, then is gets referred to the court system or? No, DCF will normally start a report on that. Once the school reported, DCF will get Department of Children and Families to receive that report. And then Department of Children and Families will contact the law enforcement agency in that particular jurisdiction. What point does someone contact Safe Space Foundation if it's not the direct victim? What happens is by law, we have to give out pamphlets as police officers telling a victim what their rights are. And a part of those rights are for them to have a safe environment. Safe Space Foundation phone numbers are listed on those pamphlets. And that's normally how we're contacted. And police officers contact Safe Space directly. What's the Safe Space phone number? Our 24-hour domestic violence 1-800 number is 800-500-1119. 800-500-1119, 24-hour support rescue line hotline for Safe Space Foundation. So someone calls you, then what do you do at Safe Space to take them out of that environment now that they've said, I'm ready to go? Well, we have counselors and we also have social workers on board with the Safe Space Foundation. And they're screened by Miami-Dade County workers. And that's how they contact us and say, well, Safe Space Foundation, I have a victim or a family that has immediate monetary needs or need to leave Miami right now today. And what Safe Space Foundation does is come in, we cut through the red tape and we provide the funds to make all these things happen. Would you ordinarily send them to one of the four shelters in Miami-Dade or do you sometimes have to move them out of the county or out of the city or the state? Well, yes, we have four protected locations in Miami-Dade County and sometimes our victims are sent to one of those locations, right? Our locations are a safe environment and we don't never give out the location or where they're located at and nor do we know what victim is at what location at any time. And yes, more 
than likely sometimes we have to move the family out of not only the states, but out of the country. Wow. What is the reaction when you say, hey, you're going to have to pack up and leave everything behind? Well, that's hard. That's hard for us because, you know, we like our stuff. We like our environment, what we're used to. And that's always a victim's call. And it's also a very touchy situation. Um, Us here at Safe Space Foundation and Miami-Dade County um, Shelters, we can't make decisions for victims. The victims have to make their own decisions. We just want to let them know that we're here for them and we're here with them. We're all going to get through this together. Okay. And the flip side of not taking that opportunity to be taken to shelter is you could end up literally dead. That is so true, ma'am. Where is the level of homicide in a domestic violence situation? How often does that escalate to that point? I don't know if you've been listening to the media lately, but to me, it seemed like every day you hear about a domestic violence situation where people have given an ultimate, which is their life. Yeah, I just I can't imagine what it's like to be the loved one of someone who is just suddenly gone. It happens all the time, ma'am. And, you know, domestic violence is not love. Domestic violence is about power and control. And some people won't, will go through any length for power and control, even death, even killing a person, even killing themselves and the entire family. That's what we've been seeing lately. The police department in North Miami Beach, you get special training for domestic violence calls, right? Yes, ma'am, we do. We have to have special training. It's mandatory by law. What do they tell you when you go to a domestic violence call? First of all, always remember safety first. Safety is always first. That's paramount. Safety first. You know, they just want us to know that victims have rights and we have to be very careful when we approach those rights. And we have to be very careful when we enter someone else's home. We have to be careful of that. And we have to be mindful that the victim right now is going to a very, very sad situation. They've never been there before. And as a police officer, sometimes we have to take that big badge off our chest and put a big heart on our chest. Yeah. What happens where you actually go to a call and the person says, please take me away. Let me bring my children. You know, you've got them in the car. What kind of conversations do they have with you if they're ready to talk about it? Um, they just want to know what's next. You know, how can they get away from this? Will the perpetrator be able to contact them and, and their children? And that's when we get down to business and we'll take them to the station and we'll normally have an advocate there waiting and they'll explain all the processes they have to go through now. But they have people who will help them through the situation, through the departments and through the paperwork and the legal things that have to be handled because there's always going to be something involving a lawyer, right? Yes, ma'am. We have people there willing and waiting to help. And we also have a lot of lawyers that provide their services to victims of domestic violence for free. Good to know. Let me ask you this. What are the signs if someone thinks there may be a problem with a neighbor or a family member that, you know, they're not talking about? Are there signs they can look for and maybe make a call on their behalf to help start the conversation? Right. Anybody can always call and be anonymous and say, I think this could be going on. If you hear a lot of fighting and fussing at your neighbor's home, um, you can always call the police, your local police agency and say, I wish it'd be anonymous, but I think there may be something going on with my neighbor, you know, and you can't get in trouble for saying that because okay. that you're not doing anything that's against the law. If you happen to see a female or either male that you see, they're always wearing dark shades or you notice them wearing extra makeup or anything like that. You can always try to reach out and be a friend to that person and just let them know that if they ever need you, you are there for them to speak to them or to contact authorities for them if need be. 
So once again, the phone number for Safe Space Foundation, 800-500-1119. Your website is safespacefoundation.org. And there's a ton of information there. And then there's also a toll-free domestic violence hotline. Yes, ma'am. Aside from the Safe Space number. Right. That's the national hotline number. Yes, ma'am. The Domestic Violence National Hotline. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And that one is 800-799-7233. That is correct, ma'am. The last four is SAFE, S-A-F-E. Ah, love it. This is a great tutorial for anyone who suspects there's domestic violence in a family they know or are a part of, or anyone who is in a domestic violence situation, whether you are a child or you are a mother or father, whoever is being abused, or if someone in your family is being abused, you can call Safe Space 24-7 at 800-500-1119 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline 800-799-7233. Cora Mann, I know how much this work means to you. So understandably, you take it very seriously. And I can't thank you enough for giving back to our community, both as a police officer in North Miami Beach and as a member of the board of directors for Safe Space Foundation. So thank you. So happy to have you here. And thank you, ma'am, for having me. And thank you for always putting our community's interests at the heart of your programs. I appreciate that. Great talking to like-minded people. And I thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. Join me again next Sunday for an all-new edition of Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Have a great day.